This is America on the Road, named the best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. And today we have more Mustang news than you can shake a bridle at. Not just one, but two important Mustang stories, including an all-new Mustang lineup for 2024. We're going to see them next year. And details on the sizzling hot Mustang Dark Horse. If you want to buy a piece of Porsche, better get out your checkbook and better get it out quick. Volkswagen is spinning off Porsche as a separate company and you can buy shares. So step up there, Chris. Is it a good idea? We'll give you our thoughts coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. You need that hyphen in there, apparently. We need our hyphens, don't we, Chris? Yes, always. I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague, who has just weighed in on hyphens. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, ways we can make car ownership better for you. Chris, uh, what's been going on? Uh, your kids are back in school. Uh, everything going well? We are halfway into fall here, Jack. I have my sweater on. I have the space heater running here. It's you know, wow, space uh, heater. 53 degrees outside, so quite chilly inside the house today. Yeah, well, there you go. We knew it was going to happen, right? You have that beautiful summer weather, and you know I love Maine in the summer. I love Maine through the fall, too. It's just gorgeous. But uh, then winter comes, and maybe not. I guess it's pretty, but it's also challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. In any case, what vehicle will you be talking about this week? I spent the week in the 2022 Mercedes-AMG GLB 35, and I actually pronounced that correctly for the first time ever, so... I'm happy about that. Yeah, well, not only pronounce it correctly, but it's a pretty cool vehicle. It's a performance version of a crossover. And I, I think a fairly uh, utilitarian crossover, too, but you will be the judge of that. I have a car that I thought Chris would be drooling over. Maybe not so much, but we'll talk about that when we get deeper into the show. It's the Lexus RCF Fuji Edition. Fuji. I was I th- consider myself privileged enough to get the chance to drive this limited production car. I think that we're going to get 50 or something like that, or they're making 50. I left extremely impressed, uh, and I'll tell you more in the road test segment coming up. And uh, we have a terrific guest for you. His name is Joe, uh, Joe McLean. He is General Motors electric vehicle safety engineer, and he'll be telling us about a special effort GM is making to ensure that first responders know how to re- deal with electric vehicle fires. So stay with us for all that. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Red back with you, and it is news time. And if you like Ford Mustangs, and who doesn't like Ford Mustangs? Well, maybe Chevy people don't, but uh, if you don't like Ford Mustangs, well, maybe this isn't the segment for you because we've got tons of Ford Mustang news including the all-new seventh generation of the Ford Mustang that's been previewed for us, and uh, amazing stuff there to talk about. Uh, Chris, what is your first blush look at this uh, new Ford Mustang, this this stuff for 2024? There's a lot lot to like, right? Yeah, there's a lot to like. You know, there were a lot of rumors floating around at first. There was going to be a hybrid Mustang or an all-wheel drive hybrid Mustang and all these things uh, that could have popped up. I'm deeply satisfied with the two cars that we have and then the the dark horse later on i think ford did a good job with refining the formula making it more powerful 
more tech forward and the interior looks great. So, you know, I don't own a Mustang. I'm sure diehards may feel differently, but I think they did a good job with the update. I like the update a lot too. I think this is going to be really cool. Uh, one thing I want to put out there too, you know, just apropos what you just said, is what uh, Jim Farley, who is the CEO of Ford Motor Company and a guy I've known since he was at Toyota years and years ago, said about internal combustion engines, which I think is heartening to those of us who still like <laughs> internal combustion engines and don't think that electric is the only way to go uh, going forward. He's uh, making it really clear that Ford is in the business of building vehicles with internal combustion engines and will continue to do so, uh, in addition to doing all they're doing on the electric side. And I, I applaud both of those things. So I think that's important to, to know. Yeah. And, you know, for enthusiasts, they've done a really good job at pushing this at the right market, right? So they've hit their enthusiast base. They brought all the Mustang owners to Detroit for the, the big rollout of this. And, you know, so good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, two new engines, I think two revised engines is maybe the better way to look at it, but uh, two pretty cool engines. 2.3 liter EcoBoost, uh, four-cylinder, of course, uh, turbocharged four-cylinder, and then a five liter V8. Hey, five liter, we're talking about V8 cars in this uh, show this week. So this, this old guy is uh, excited about that. Uh, I love this remote rev feature. So you could be standing, you know, at the coffee shop or whatever and rev up your car with your uh, key fob and boom, boom, boom. There it goes. That, that's kind of cool. What are your thoughts on that? Is that just too much showmanship? That's an ego boost, Jack. I mean, if you can't hear it from inside the car, you go stand around back and click it. You know, that's just, uh, I don't deny it would make me feel good. <laughs> I don't know how much the neighbors would love it, though. Yeah. Interestingly, they don't lead with the engine. So when they're talking about the car, they really kind of led with the... Uh, the interior of the car and the infotainment systems and the instrument cluster and all that. And, and it is uh, pretty exciting stuff. A 12.4-inch digital instrument cluster. They have gone to a different kind of uh, look for this. And I think maybe rightly so. Uh, they've gone to a copper theme. And I know you're a fan of copper, I think. Uh, or, or is it bronze? I mean, you like all those kind of brownish metals, I think. Huh? Yes, brown is a very automotive journalist-friendly color. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so they're, they're having this in the... Uh, and it's configurable. You can go away from the copper color if you want to. I, I might have a tendency to, to do that myself. I think they're borrowing stuff from the Mustang Mach-E there. Then they have a 13.2-inch touchscreen in the center stack that runs SYNC 4. Uh, and the, the two are kind of placed side by side, so it looks like one massive uh, display. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like entering a driving video game, isn't it? It is. You know, luxury automakers do this a lot. Mercedes has done this, but BMW has done the continuous panel. It's a big change from the sort of retro look that the uh, previous generation Mustangs had. It has the requisite flat bottom steering wheel, or you can get it. And of course, that makes it much faster. I think you, losing that little bit at the bottom of the steering wheel lightens the car enough that it probably gains two or three seconds in, in terms of zero to 60 time. Uh, it has a standard cloth interior, which I applaud. I am personally a lover of cloth interiors. I don't think we see enough of them. And everybody seems to go to leather or micro, you know, some other kind of vinyl. And uh, I like a a nice cloth interior. Of course, you can get leather if you want to. You can get kind of a combination of synthetic cloth and leather, all kinds of different configurations here. This is something that they're putting in that I think is very cool, and it's overhead USB ports. And that's for people who like to install cameras or 
uh, you know, track devices, things that you know, check your track times and acceleration and g-forces and all that. I think that's really cool as opposed to having a bunch of dangling wires. We're all used to seeing that. And uh, so I think that's a great idea. Uh, what do you think about this whole in infotainment array and what they're doing on the inside of this vehicle? Well, we've talked about it a bunch of times. Ford Sync is one of the best uh, on the market. It's colorful. It's intuitive. It's easy. Uh, Sync 4, it takes that to the next level. You can run a couple of apps side by side on the big screen. It works really well, uh, at least in like the Mustang Mach-E, you know, where the, the screen is oriented the other way around. I applaud the 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 USB-C ports in the ceiling. I've probably written 10 radar detector and dash cam reviews, and every single one of them I bemoan the fact that I have giant cables running all over the place in the car. So uh, good for them. Those are clever touches, and that shows that they're thinking about who's going to use this car, right? Radar detectors and dash cams are big with people who are you know driving VA-powered bustle cars. So I yeah. can see that being a huge benefit. Makes sense. It does. Uh, a B&O sound system is available. Uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. They don't mention whether it's wireless or not, the Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. I ho I'm hoping it is. Not sure it is, though, given the fact that it is not called out. Uh, has Amazon Alexa built in, so if you want to be eavesdropped by Amazon, feel free to allow that to happen. What do you think about the looks? I think they've done a, a pretty good job making it look like a Mustang and actually making it look modern, too, but I want your take on it. I think so. They took a little bit of the roundedness out of it, I guess, in my eye and made the edges look a little bit crisper and sharper. And the back end is, is awesome looking. You know, I didn't think it at first, but I heard a couple of people say they saw a little bit of the new, the latest Camaro in there. And I think I agree with that a little bit, but uh, it's still definitively a Mustang. You look at it, you see Mustang. So uh, again, with the evolutionary idea here, they've done a good job at just kind of smoothing it out and refining the formula. Yeah, and they keep the uh, signature tri-bar lighting at the rear, which, you know, is useful. Of course, it's a Mustang signature that goes back to 1965. Better aerodynamics. I like the fact that they're continuing to build a convertible. I thought that might be on the chopping block. Uh, I know it's a big rental. Uh, you go to Hawaii or something, and uh, or uh, Orlando, and uh, a lot of people are getting into Mustang convertibles, so that's important. Uh, cool wheels from 17-inch all the way up to 20-inch alloy wheels. So a lot of good stuff here. Uh, Five-liter uh, V8 engine, most powerful of those, of the GT model engines. That's what uh, Ford is claiming. And then uh, also a manual transmission. You know, I think they're going to sell a ton of the, I mean, they always sell a ton of Mustangs anyway, but I think they're going to sell even more now that the Camaro is going to go away and the Dodge Challenger and Dodge uh, Charger are going away. That'll leave this guy as the only gas-powered muscle car on sale, and you still have a, a manual transmission option too. So <laughs> it's going to be exciting to see what happens. Yeah. It has an electronic drift brake, so you can, you know, burn out your tires at will, support the, the tire industry. Let's talk about the Mustang Dark Horse, which is the kind of street-legal racing car that they promise uh, soon after the introduction of these other Mustangs. They're saying about 500 horsepower. They won't commit exactly to that. They say it's the most track capable five liter Mustang, street legal uh, Ford Mustang ever. What's your take on what they're, what they're doing there with a, a new variant? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough to find one of these for a while. I mean, I think everybody's going to be clamoring for the top dog, right? The, the dark horse, you want the most power. It doesn't look radically different than the regular Mustang, but uh, I've seen a video floating around this morning with uh, an exhaust sound, and man, it sounds uh, fantastic. So I think Ford's done enough to differentiate it uh, and make it special. Well, it's going to have blue coloring, blue stitching across the door panels and seats. I know you're a fan of blue seating, blue seat belts, 
I think there's a, a um, an option for a leather kind of dark blue the, where the blue kind of comes through the uh, perforations in the leather. So that's got to excite the, the people in the Teague household. I know you love blue interiors. Yes, we do. And why shouldn't you? And when we come back, we will be doing some road testing and some very, very cool vehicles, performance-oriented vehicles, a Mercedes AMG GLB, uh, driven by Chris Teague. And I was driving the uh, Lexus RC Fuji, so very cool. And uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Nerad with you. And it is road test time. And, you know, a lot of times we're testing three-row SUVs and, you know, some mundane family cars. We love to do that and we think it's helpful to do. But uh, it's nice to get into some performance iron and, you know, kind of push it a little bit. And we have that this week, don't we? We certainly do. Jack, I spent the week in the 2022 Mercedes AMG GLB 35. I always have to go very slowly with that because it's very easy to stumble. Uh, but this is built on the basis of the GLB 250, which is kind of a, I don't want to say pedestrian, but like a mid to lower range Mercedes Benz, if you if you can even imagine like an entry level Mercedes. Uh, but the GLB 250 has got a four cylinder engine. It's got two rows and a, an optional third row seat. It's a smaller SUV, but it's tall. So you can get, you know, tall people, gear, um, my tall dog, which I got a good kick out of doing video with. Uh, but the GLB 35 builds on that with an AMG that they don't hand build it like they do with the upper level AMGs, but it's a, I'll call it massaged four cylinder engine, uh, 2.0 liters turbocharged. It makes 302 horsepower jack, 295 pound feet of torque. That outperforms or outdoes my GTI by more than 60 horsepower. Uh, it does zero to 60 in 4.9 seconds. It's got an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission and AMG-tuned all-wheel drive. My test vehicle came on very sticky Michelin summer tires, and I have to tell you the performance in this thing is shocking. It, it, you look at it from the outside, it looks a little goofy. It's a, an upright SUV. Um, I'm going to call it a hatchback because I think it's about that size, but it doesn't look like it's going to do what it does when you put your foot down. It looks very conservative, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a conservative-looking vehicle. Yeah, have you driven one? Uh, I have not driven that variant. I've driven the GLB, but I haven't driven the AMG, uh, you know, per per performance version. I, I bet it totally transforms it. Yeah, so the, the funny thing here is, you know, it's it's shockingly quick. It handles like a sports car. It is a sports car, um, but that it also has all-wheel drive. So if you have the right set of tires on it, you could drive this thing year-round, which is especially, uh, it's a big benefit for me here or anyone, you know, north of, I guess, uh, Kentucky, really, in the United States. Um, but the performance is, you know, 4.9 seconds, zero to 60. It handles great. So it has adaptive suspension that responds to the drive modes. You can choose uh, comfort, sport, sport plus. And in doing so, you tighten up the suspension, the uh, braking feel changes, the steering changes, and the exhaust opens. And uh, like BMW, Mercedes pumps fake exhaust noise into the cabin, which I don't really love. Uh, but it does, you know, lend a little bit to the excitement of of driving this vehicle. Uh, mine was in a very deep blue color, and you know, you see people on the road look at it, and they can't quite tell what they're looking at because it rides a little bit lower. It has uh, big 20-inch wheels. They were black on this model, uh, and it looks like a family SUV until you know they hear it go by. So it's definitely eye-catching from the styling department. And you know, you just talked about blue earlier in the the show, and you know, one of my favorite colors. So. Uh, on the inside, uh, this vehicle has a, the starting price of around $58,000. You can add a myriad of options to this thing and drive the price north of $70,000. 
uh, with real leather and upgraded uh, Burmester sound system. But uh, my tester is pretty basic, Jack. It lacked the uh, panoramic, panoramic sunroof. It had MB Tex synthetic uh, leather upholstery, which I don't actually mind. I don't get your feeling on this. It looks and feels like real leather. You miss the smell of leather that you get into a nice car. But have you, what are your thoughts on synthetic leather interiors? I think they're pretty good. I'm kind of, uh, I'm pro. I, I like the synthetic leather. I think it, you know, wears just as well, looks pretty much the same. I think most people would look at that interior and go, it's a leather interior. You know, maybe they need to pump in some leather smell along with the sounds that they're pumping in, and then they, they'd have it 100%, or you get a little air freshener thing that you, you know, leather smell that you, you know, hang from your rear view mirror and you're there, right? And you've saved uh, 5,000 bucks. You just hang a belt from the, the rearview mirror and get it over with. Yeah, or a piece of jerky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so heated seats are standard in the vehicle. You lose out on cooled seats with the lower level. You can add those with the perforated leather and all the, all the upgrades that comes along with it. Uh, one thing that is standard is a very nice infotainment display. It's a 10.25-inch uh, touchscreen and a 10.25-inch adaptive, I say adaptive, adjustable digital gauge cluster. Um, and they're joined together in a panel, just like we were talking about the Mustang in the in the previous segment. So uh, very nice displays in this vehicle. One thing I don't like, and you can get around this by using a touchscreen, is this has a touch controller, touch pad controller. Um, Lexus has done this, Acura has done this, and it just never really works out as well as they want it to. It's not as intuitive. Uh, but again, you can use the touchscreen here so you don't have to rely on, on a confusing uh, touchpad. All around, you know, inside, there's plenty of room up front. My children did, and here's where I tell you how tall I am. At six feet tall, I did jockey for space with my six-year-old daughter. Now she was five, now six. Um, but there's... And she'll be seven soon. I wouldn't be using this as a, as a huge family hauler if I had a choice. Uh, but you do have plenty of cargo space, and there's a lot of headroom. So I'm going to run out of time if I keep jabbering. But uh, solid performance, Jack. Great styling. I think I need a little, something a little bit bigger, but uh, I enjoyed the week with the vehicle. I'd say it's a terrific vehicle, and uh, you know I'd love to have one. At the same time, I don't know who buys them, right? Like I'm, I'm uh, scratching my head, going, "Here's a very conservative-looking, kind of mundane-looking SUV with sparkling performance, but it doesn't advertise the fact that it has sparkling performance." And I think a lot of people kind of want to advertise that if they've got it, right? And it's expensive. You know, it's not a big vehicle, so that's a lot of a lot of change for a vehicle that size. I love it, but I, I wonder who who it's for. I think you do give up some practicality here. Although, I mean, you're buying if you buy a GLB 250, you still have the same practicality. So, uh, I don't know. You have to really want that performance to go for the extra money or the extra badging. I think. I think it's something that plays probably better in Europe than in North America, but. Uh... Yeah, I'm glad they bring it here, and it's very, very cool. I'm uh, reviewing another car that I'm glad they brought to North America, and that is the Lexus RCF Fuji. And I, I kind of thought that Chris would salivate over this, and maybe you're salivating less than I had hoped. This is a 472-horsepower V8-powered Lexus quasi-race car, and at the same time, it's all Lexus all the time, too. It has all those Lexus luxury features. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about this car. Plenty of torque. It's got that old-school V8, uh, you know, rear-drive kind of stuff, and uh, um, named after the Temple of Speed, you know, Fuji Race Course, which is a cool place. I was lucky enough to go up there one time. You climb these hills and mountains you're driving in a bus you know and uh pine trees are all around and you're in this mountainous setting and you're going there's a racetrack here what's going on and then you see this 
absolutely gorgeous racetrack. So uh, it brings back wonderful memories from that. And, you know, I could see this vehicle as being really great around that race course. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Brembo carbon ceramic brakes are available. It's far more than appearance package because they're, they're light weighting this thing. It doesn't get more horsepower, but it, it weighs less. And so it uh, will accelerate from 0 to 60 in 3.96 seconds, according to Lexus. And uh, why would they lie, right? And this has, hey, it, it's a theme show. It has blue paint. It has this flat kind of blue. As I don't talk about paint colors very much because I think you know it's a matter of taste and people can outfit the car in the color they like and maybe they like different colors than I. But this is stunning. This, <laughs> this really looks good. I think sitting out front of my house, I'm like, wow, this is a, a really uh, wonderful looking car. And I, you know, the paint job is very, very cool. The fact that they can do this and make it uh, last through car washes is, is a cool thing too. It has Alcantara trimmed seats and Alcantara on the steering wheel. I, and I want your take on this, Chris. I found the Alcantara to be kind of slippery in my hands. And I think that's kind of the opposite of what you would want on a, a racing type steering wheel. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? I think so. Alcantara feels great until you have any moisture on your hand or any anything else on your hands at all. And then it loses its feel and it also ages poorly uh, over time. I love it on seats and headliners and everything else. I think steering wheels, I, I would pass. So maybe that's a little bit of a miss, but uh, you know, certainly this uh, the, the lighter weighting of this thing is, is a wise move. They have hollow half shafts to save weight. And of course, a lighter air conditioner. Uh, other things to just save a little weight. It has the a adaptive variable suspension, which is handles just great. I mean, it handles terrifically well. And at the same time, really comfortable, really like a Lexus. I think the combination of this acting like a Lexus and having all this performance uh, is a pretty neat trick to pull off, isn't it? It is, and you know, you're mentioning how I didn't seem so excited about this. My main complaint with the uh, the RC was always the weight. You know, it always felt too heavy. The Lexus V8 is a gem. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the engine. The output is strong. You mentioned plenty of torque, uh, but the weight was the key. So with this Fuji, the Fuji Edition or Fuji package, I think uh, I I would love to be able to drive one. There are so few of them, I probably never will be able to. But uh, that that probably solves my complaints with the car. Yeah. Well, who knows. 19-inch uh, wheels, big tires, Michelin Pilot Sport tires, so that's all good. Brembo brakes, six-piston in the front, four-piston in the rear. I like the seats a lot. Spent a lot of time in the seats and spent a lot of time in the bolstering <laughs> uh, because this, this car uh, handles high Gs uh, probably better than I do as a human being. Digital in instrumentation that uh, works really well. I like the um, 8-speed direct shift transmission. It has rev matching. It helps us out. I'm not the greatest heel-and-toe guy ever, uh, so I like that. It says it has 160 mile per hour top track speed. I didn't try that on the 405 freeway here in Southern California, but I can attest to the fact this is really fast. And then you can get a carbon fiber package that includes a carbon fiber roof, carbon fiber rear bumper, carbon fiber air dam in the front, bunch of stuff made out of carbon fiber, including badges inside the vehicle, even uh, beefier wheels and tires. And then it has, like I say, it has all that requisite Lexus stuff. Uh, Android Auto, Amazon Alexa, 10.3 inch split screen multimedia display, and you can start the engine with your smartwatch. I don't know why you'd ever want to, but I guess you could. You know, I guess if you're sitting in your house there in Maine, the snow is coming down, 
and you want to warm the car up before you trudge across the uh, zero degree uh, freezing snow uh, into the car, having that started and maybe warmed up before you get in, pretty good idea. That is a pretty good idea, although driving this car in the snow might be might prove a little challenging. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. 17 speaker, 835 watt Mark Levinson premium sound system in a small cabin. Uh, it, it's like crazy, uh, you know, crazy amount of uh, uh, sound, more sound than your ears can bear. So uh, I like this vehicle a lot. I think we had two really fun vehicles this week in the uh, AMG GLB 35 and in the uh, Lexus RC Fuji. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. And when we come back, we will be speaking with, uh, I think, a fascinating guest. Joe McLean is General Motors electric vehicle safety engineer. And GM is making a special effort to ensure that first responders know how to deal with electric vehicle fires. It might be counterintuitive that electric vehicles even catch fire, but they do. Uh, and we'll talk with him about that. I think you'll find it fascinating. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Neerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Neerad with you. We have a terrific guest for you. Uh, Joe McLean is a GM Global Product Safety and Systems Engineer working on a really important program. For General Motors, it has to do with electric vehicles. Of course, GM making a major effort on electric vehicles. Number one, Joe, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jack. Excited. I'm excited to talk with you about this because uh, it seems that this is a very important issue, and it's probably not getting a ton of attention. I, it's getting attention maybe in safety circles, but not generally. And I think it's important, right, that EVs need to be treated in a different way or somewhat different way than conventional vehicles. And uh, GM is stepping forward to, to um, educate first responders to this. Tell us about uh, the program you put together. Yeah, thanks, Jack, for the opportunity. Very excited to talk about this. Uh, this is a, a training effort that we're going nationally, really across uh, North America, to locations where we're directly and individually giving uh, training to first responders, hands-on. We've got product, vehicle product, and some battery product that we take with us to give them some uh, understanding of where we've been and where we're going in the future. But uh, to my knowledge, we're the only automaker doing this. Uh, you know, again, going to deliver this training hands-on. Of course, we're doing it no charge, but communicating our commitment to safety in the broadest and really showing the importance of a collaborative approach. We've partnered with um, General Motors and OnStar partnered with the Illinois Fire Service Institute, a nationally accredited uh, organization, land-grant university aligned with the University of Illinois. Uh, but they are a statutory fire academy for the state of Illinois, but we're going around the country and sharing the information that is already publicly available, but giving the trainees and attendees to this training uh, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, of where General Motors has been and where we're going with our Ultium uh, family of products, and battery and battery management systems and charging systems, the like, and where we're going in the future. So we're going out and communicating not only that we believe these vehicles are extremely safe, we've designed, engineered, built, and we'll service them as well, but we really think that there's an electric vehicle for everybody, and we're looking to spur the increased adoption of this you know, form of transportation. 
Well, General Motors has been making electrified vehicles and electric vehicles, for that matter, for a long time now, right? I mean, I date back to the EV1, the GM EV1, the famous vehicle uh, that uh, spawned a, a movie, among other things. Uh, so you have a lot of history in this. Um, how is that history being brought to bear in this project? That's a great question. Certainly a lot of people don't um, know that the history of electrification predates the mass adoption of the internal combustion engine. So you know, more than 100 years ago, uh, we and other automakers really started to look at for many of the same benefits that are you know, relevant today, the ease of use, the lack of noise, the simpl simplicity of manufacture and of you know, utilization. So we have a uh, part of the presentation and the training that I talk about, you know, we, the long history of electrification, uh, certainly this was seen as the holy grail, the golden standard, right, for transportation and new horseless carriages. And, you know, it, it predates really the mass adoption. But Henry Ford, Thomas Alva Edison were all interested in electrifying and batteries, you know, providing the propulsion for vehicles. Certainly what you mentioned, the EV1, it's a great product. Many of the members on the team that deliver the training were involved in um, you know, the development and testing of that vehicle in the mid-90s. But as part of the presentation, we even talk about General Motors' experience with electrification predating that to the lunar rover vehicles, the moon buggies of the mid-60s and 70s with the Apollo program. And a lot of people aren't aware that General Motors partnered with you know, some pretty big names in the, in the industry for you know, uh, lunar travel. Uh, but we are looking at, again, the Altium technology of uh, batteries. We're partnering with Lockheed Martin and a you know, proposal for NASA's next generation of lunar rovers and other space vehicles. Uh, but the concept of electrification, whether it's here on Earth or you know, extraterrestrial, we are you know, committed to the safe deployment and want to make them aware that this is not something that we take lightly. The idea of electrification is not new, but maybe new to them. But we are serious about this. We've got a lot of experience in, in doing this, and we want to communicate how seriously we're taking it. Well, General Motors is certainly charging hard into the EV space with the Ultimium battery, the Ultimium platform. Uh, we're seeing a lot of vehicles. I was there for the launch of the uh, uh, the unveiling of the Blazer EV, for example. And, you know, I've already ri ridden in the Hummer EV. Uh, yep. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, I think. I, you've got a lot of stuff coming. And to make that all work well, I certainly want this to be safe, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, job one is to make things safe. And that's what you're charged with, isn't it? It is, indeed. So we take the design of the products and certainly the testing very seriously. Uh, one thing that I want to make you and the listeners aware of that they may not be aware of is that we test in crash sequence and virtual development as well, but we crash test all of our battery electric vehicles at a very high state of charge. The regulations in the U.S. currently say a 95% state of charge. Um, we run those barrier tests and, and crash sequences at a high state of charge, and we're confident because we have evaluated those in, in a number of scenarios. We've looked at where the placement of the components, the high voltage system, the battery itself, um, with the Altium and certainly uh, all of our other pure battery electric vehicles, the battery itself becomes an integral part of the vehicle structure, right? So 
We've located and many other automakers have located the battery low and in the center of the vehicle. It lowers the center of gravity. And you're able to protect the battery, I think, with that kind of positioning as well, right? Which is another crucial factor. Indeed. Absolutely. For the first responder to understand where the batteries are, I think is uh, one of the first steps, right? Understanding where, you know, potential hazards are is, is critical, isn't it? That's a great point. Absolutely. So what we've done as an industry, and not just General Motors, but every other automaker that is, you know, signed up to design these and sell them to customers and, and make them available, we have adopted a industry standard of orange. So the color orange, you know, under hood, under the vehicle, any high voltage components that might be potentially hazardous or you know have a potential uh, you know for harm if someone were to cut into them or jostle them or move them or you know cut into them, we as an industry have identified those high voltage components and certainly the battery being uh, a, a one of those in the color orange. So we've clad the cabling, you know, in in, in protective covering that is orange, but We've identified those, and not only in the vehicle, but also our published rescue documents. So, you know, the National Transportation Safety Board, you know, last year issued a report saying there was a lack of standardization and recommended, you know, the same uh, principles that we are, we're already following, you know, for the creation of emergency response guides or, you know, rescue sheets and quick response or quick rescue documents. And all of those we've made publicly available for all the vehicles prior to their launch, prior to hitting the roads, you know, we've committed to having that become standard work now within the company. Let's talk about some, uh, you know, potential issues. You know, certainly one is voltage, right? I mean, uh, these are much higher voltage vehicles than the typical conventional car that's running a 12-volt system. Talk a bit about that, what special issues that brings forward. Many of the, the high-voltage systems are several hundred voltage right so the the idea that voltage is dangerous is not new to anybody that's you know been around or interacted with a circuit breaker or uh you know certainly the 12 volt is a low voltage system that we still utilize for the lights and for door locks and for telematics and other things that might be um required in a post incident or post crash situation we call that a post crash electrical integrity and so we you know, maintain that doors will be unlocked, lights will be on when it can be after a crash. But the voltage that we're talking about for these vehicles is high. And we've taken pains, we've taken the, the effort, and so has the industry, to identify where that high voltage system is and you know, to have a hazardous voltage interlock or you know, um, interface that is automatically disconnected and again, isolating that high voltage energy into the battery pack and not the components, you know, that might be powering the drive motors or, you know, taking on charge. But we've also clad all of those and identified those, you know, in our first responder information labels, all of our rescue documents, but also the color orange. Well, certainly fire is another issue, I think, especially with lithium ion batteries, which are used in most electric vehicles uh, right now and probably for the foreseeable future will be. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily intuitive to our listeners to think that batteries catch fire, but there is the, the potential of that, and there's certainly the potential of heat gain. We probably all felt our phones get hot every now and then, right? Tell us a bit about that. Indeed. So uh, lithium-ion battery fires have some interesting characteristics. They are not easily extinguished with foam or with other non-aqueous or non-water-based. You know, We really talk about using water only 
to cool the batteries and to extinguish a, a lithium ion battery fire. Certainly if firefighters uh, you know, come upon a scene and there might be upholstery you know, that started the fire or a cigarette or something else besides the battery, certainly normal fire you know, extinguishing techniques and you know, foam would be applicable in that sense. But water, if, it, if the battery uh, has caught fire, is the only thing that will put out a lithium ion battery fire. And we talk about putting water at the source of the heat. You know, if you can get it into the battery pack, that's awesome. Uh, perhaps the load floor has been breached or damaged in a crash sequence or impact, but spraying water on a hood or spraying hot water on the windshield or the, the roof line is not going to do anything. So you've got to get the water to the heat source. And there are, you know, we're an automaker, but there are also industry uh, standards being developed by the likes of National Fire Protection Association, SAE, on how you might get water into the battery or quench the fire, but you certainly don't want to just spray water willy-nilly. You want to get that water to the source of the heat. Uh, we do make the recommendation if you can get the water inside the vehicle, that's better than spraying it on the outside. So, you know, if you need to break glass or get into the vehicle and put water uh, and float it from the inside or make it into a bathtub. That's you know something that our first responders are very comfortable with. They are very trained in um, putting that stream of water wherever it may need to go. But um, we do want firefighters and emergency services to know that water is the only thing that will really extinguish or cool a lithium-ion battery fire. Fascinating. And it's not intuitive that you would put water on what is quote unquote an electrical fire, but it's not really right. an electrical fire, is it? It's not. Let's, it's uh, not. what is the biggest misconception surrounding uh, safety with electric vehicles that, uh, as you talk to first responders? I think there's a lack of awareness at how the industry has approached this. A, a good point to make is that this training that we're undertaking right now drew its inspiration from what General Motors and Chevrolet did more than 10 years ago with the Chevy Volt, uh, with that you know very unique form of a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle that had a large lithium-ion battery pack, I mean, that was an amazing vehicle. And we, we took an effort then to take that vehicle across the country and to demonstrate you know, how similar the extrication and, and cutting into the vehicle were. And again, increasing awareness of first responders so they knew what was gonna be on the roads. We took inspiration from that and we developed you know, what we think is an industry unique or certainly automaker unique delivery. And we give this training in a four hour session. Again, it's free of charge. People can go to gmevfirstrespondertraining.com and check it out. Well, it's an exciting and really interesting uh, thing you're doing, I think. You Thank you, Jack. And, and it's, a, it's a team effort. Again, we believe in the importance of collaboration. We believe in the importance of transparency and again, uh, demonstrating leadership and getting out there to inform not just first responders, but the motoring public on how committed to the safety of these vehicles we are and to making that information on how to interact with them freely and publicly available. Yeah, and we're happy to do that here on America on the Road too. Well, Joe uh, McLean, uh, GM Global Product Safety and Systems Engineer, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate your perseverance in, in doing the interview with us. And uh, thanks for all the great information you delivered. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate the time. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. <laughs>
Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine. This is Jackie Redbeth back with you, and uh, we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. It is listener question time, and we love to take questions from you, hopefully to help you uh, buy a good car or you know learn something more about things automotive. It's it's our lives. This is what we do. Uh, so thanks for being with us. And uh, Chris, I think you probably uh, are a good one to answer this question. This is from Shelly. She has just moved to Grand Junction, Colorado from uh, Southern California, which a lot of people are doing. They're moving out of Southern California. And she wants to know about winter tires. She's and never had to deal with winter tires. She's wondering when to put them on. You know, what should she be doing about winter tires? Yeah, there's no set date to put on winter tires. You know, a lot of people say November 1st, you got to put on your winter tires. The time to start putting winter tires on is when your daytime or your morning, whenever you're spending most of your time driving, the temperature is 45 degrees or below. All season tires, especially summer tires, if you lived in Southern California, you probably never had to change your tires at all unless you went into the mountains. Um, you know, those are formulated to work at a certain temperature range and they can get hard, even crack and become brittle when it gets cold outside and you lose traction. So you really want to start thinking about that at 45 degrees or below when that's your sort of average daytime temperature. Um, and the second th part of that is you have to check Colorado law, but here in Maine, you can't run winter tires with studs on them before uh, November 1st. So just make sure if you're going to do studs that you're within the, the date range on that as well. So uh, no set date, just keep an eye on the thermometer. So winter tires are really worthwhile in, in the right climates and, you know, doing a switch and doing a switch maybe before you have to uh, is the logical thing to do rather than going, wow, it's, look at all that snow on the ground. I better put winter tires on right now. And a lot of tire shops will store your other tires and do the swap out for free. So just be sure to ask about that because you could find uh, a lot more convenience by not having to haul the tires back and forth. Yeah, absolutely true. And you have that muddy tire in the back of your car. Who needs that? Uh, well, that's the end of our show. Chris, you've done a marvelous job co-hosting as usual. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will say, as I always do, if you like what you heard and you want to take us with you, hit the SportsMap Radio uh, website, sportsmapradio.com. On the Saturday morning schedule, there you can find America on the Road. You can find our podcast on all the major platforms as well as a formatted radio version of the show. Right, and thanks to the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the Road. Most of all, thanks to you for listening to America on the Road. We do appreciate it. You're the reason we do what we do, and we like what we do. So thanks for letting us do it. And uh, join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road.